So the reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achia. The Lord's message rang out for you, not only in Macedonia and Achia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I'm just going to invite John up. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for John, and we thank you, Lord, for he's come to our church today, and we pray for your blessing on him, and uh, we just ask, Lord, that his words uh, inspire us, and Lord, that his words convict us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here, and um, I've come from Broadbeam Baptist Church, so they send you your, their greetings, um, and it's, yeah, it's lovely to be here this morning. Um, the first flush of love, it changes things for people. I don't know if you've noticed this in other people or in yourself. Um, I got married in the summer to Maeve, my beautiful wife. Um, and when I first started kind of realizing that I really liked her, it changed me. Um, I kind of, I would find myself thinking about her all the time. Uh, and I'd kind of be thinking, how would she respond to this? Uh, and I started noticing things that I hadn't noticed before, like doors. So Maeve's quite a fan of, of doors, of, you know, of, of houses. And, and I, I couldn't care less about doors, but I suddenly started noticing doors and thinking, oh, Maeve would like that door. She wouldn't like that door. Weird. And it's true, particularly of, of romance, but, but it's true of other things as well, isn't it? There's a kind of excitement when something is new. Um, I don't know if you know someone who's become obsessed with cycling. I know a number of people like this. Um, and just suddenly loads of money gets spent on this kind of hobby out of nowhere. The kind of intensity, almost obsessiveness. Um, and this can tr be true of any kind of relationship, friendship. Sometimes you'll meet someone and you think, well, there's a real connection here, and you'll just, it will change you. And, I mean, we're here as Christians, aren't we? And when you first met Jesus, I don't know if you can remember what that felt like, that kind of excitement, that passion, that first flush, if you like, of love. And what I love about Thessalonians is um, that, that it's full of that. It's full of this first flush of love. Um, it's written months after Paul actually first met the Thessalonians and where they became Christians. So it's a really short distance. And so it carries some of the excitement of, of that, of the Thessalonians. They've just become Christians. But also Paul has just seen them become Christians and he's excited. 
And beyond that, it's, it's one of the earliest documents of the New Testament. Pretty much all scholars agreed it's very early, the first epistle of the Thessalonians. And lots of people think it's the first Christian document ever written that we have a record of. Of course, someone might have written a Christian shopping list, but we, we don't have that. Um, but certainly, it's one of the oldest books of the Bible. So it has this sense of freshness. And it's got an energy, the energy of the new. And that comes across in 1 Thessalonians 1. Um, Paul starts off with thanks. And back in the day, in ancient times, it was conventional to start a letter with thanks. But Paul just goes off on one. He doesn't just do a few verses. I mean, the last time he mentions thankfulness is in chapter 3, verse 9. So he kind of just keeps on thanking God about them. And in this chapter, he thanks God for their faith, their hope, their love, that they know that they're God's. And he says he's really grateful that he knows that they're chosen. And he knows that they're chosen because of good news. And we're going to look at good news today. That's where we're going to go. So we're going to look at how the good news came to the Thessalonians. Uh, We're going to see um, how they took it, how the good news was taken. And we're going to see where the good news went. So how the good news came, how it was taken, and where it went. So first of all, how the good news came. The words, um, I think... Yeah, it's up here, isn't it? Great. Um, So you can see the gospel in verse uh, 5. Our gospel came to you. Um, And the Greek word there is euangelion. And it means good news. So the word good news I'm taking from there. Um, I'll be interested to know how people get their news in this congregation. Um, Hands up if you get your news from... You can do multiple votes here. Hands up if you get your news from a, a print newspaper. Yes, love to see it. Um, hands up if you get your news from TV. Hands up from radio. From the internet. Uh, from social media. Yeah. Is anyone getting their news from a herald? No, no. Um, so that's how they got news back in the day. A guy would come with a bell or a drum or something, uh, wearing a cloak, I don't know, off a horse. Um, and he'd say, hear ye, hear ye, I have the news. Um, and... That is the kind of idea of euangelion. Someone coming up and saying, look, guys, I've got news, gather around. And euangelion was particularly associated with changes of ruler. So when a new emperor came, then they'd gather everyone around and say, guys, there's a new emperor. And that was really good news for people because it meant there wouldn't be a war of succession. It meant peace, hopefully. So that's the kind of thing we're thinking. We're thinking good news. That's the kind of the background. Uh, And we're just going to go through this, really. Um, The good news came with words. So it says here, it didn't simply come with words. That means it came with words, right? And this makes sense. A challenge for you at lunch today. Uh, I want you to try and tell the news. Look at your newspaper or your phone or whatever, wherever you get news from. And look at just a random piece of news and try and communicate that news without using words. Um, And I I tell you, that would be quite difficult. Uh, you need, you can't communicate news without words. It's, it's, it just doesn't work. And what he's saying here, though, is, is that it's much more than words. It's not less than words, but it's, it's coming not just with words, but with, with power. Uh, power makes stuff happen, doesn't it? So the difference between a, a bicycle and a motorcycle is loads of power. The difference between legs and, like, an engine a petrol engine. And that means there's movement, there's dynamism. And words without power don't make things happen. 
So if I went into McDonald's and I said to someone behind the counter, can you go and check the stock of potatoes? Nothing will happen. No one will do anything because my words don't have any power. But if the boss says the same thing, if the boss of the McDonald's comes in and says, can you go and check the stock of potatoes? Have we got enough chips? Something will happen. People will move. There will be movement. There will be change. There will be an effect. And the words of this good news come with power. They meant there was change. Something happened. There was movement. And that power was not a force like electricity or, or an engine. It was personal. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. The immediate power of the personal God. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who, who brings the dead to life, sight to the blind, who heals the broken. And the movement that made was a movement of deep conviction. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you can see it there. The Holy Spirit brings deep conviction. And, and if people are convinced of something, it's about what you think about things, isn't it? The Holy Spirit changes people's minds. He changes people's direction. What we're seeing here is a reorientation. That was how the good news came. But it was also something that was lived. Paul says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. This was not just a herald rocking up and announcing something and leaving. Paul lived among them. He knew them. He embodied the news. He exemplified it. He shared his life with them. It's not just dropping word bombs from the sky, but, but it came with this kind of investment, this presentness. So how did the good news come? How do we summarize all that? Well, word and power. It was a deep conviction of changed minds that led to changed lives. The Holy Spirit was there. It was basically news that brought change. And this is like one of the earliest documents we have of the church. This is fresh. It's this, this is the first flush of, of love, if you like. So that's how the good news came. Then how the good news was taken. So it came with word and power. Um, it was embodied. And it was taken through kind of imitation. So you can see there, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. This news was caught as much as it was taught. Kids learn by copying. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, that you kind of make silly faces in, to a kid. And at a young age, they're just like, they haven't got a clue. But once they can see beyond a certain distance, they will copy your face. You'll smile and they'll smile, hopefully. Or they'll cry. Um, that's always depressing, isn't it? But, but kids learn by copying. And they learn to speak by copying the words that we say, don't they? And it's adorable. And... That is how Christians learn. Christians learn by copying. And what's remarkable is, he says, you imitators of us and of the Lord. How do we learn to copy Jesus? Well, by copying the person who copied him. And the person that copied them, the person who copied them. And actually, each of us can trace. I mean, we can't trace it because we don't know the names of everybody. But there is a chain of imitation that goes back from the person that you copied as a Christian, probably as a young Christian, all the way back. They copied someone who 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 copied someone. 
eventually that leads to Jesus Christ. That's how it works. That's how it's taken. That's how it's received. I find that really exciting, but also kind of terrifying. (laughs) Because the question it leads to is, well, who are you imitating now? And also, who is imitating you? What a challenge, right? That's just what Christian growth looks like. Imitation in the midst of suffering. If you've got time later on, worth reading the first few verses of Acts 17, where the story of the Thessalonian church is, basically, Paul preaches and teaches for three days, and then there's a massive riot. And believers get dragged in front of the civil authorities. It's carnage. And it's, it's horrible, presumably. I've never been dragged through the street by a mob. Um, I don't want to be. It would be humiliating. It would be painful. And presumably, the, the pain of that would not just stop when Paul left. They received the good news in the midst of suffering. I don't want to glib about this pain. That suffering would have been real. It would have been physical, but also the ostracism of their community. But in the midst of suffering, they, they, they knew the joy given by the Holy Spirit. How does that make sense? It's a supernatural thing. God can give joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. I like thinking of it in terms of a, a current. If you think of an ocean, there are deep currents, aren't there, that move the body of water in a certain direction. And those currents are pretty steady. But on the top you have the water. And the water can go in different directions, blown by the wind. And it's like that with the Christian life. You can have a storm on the surface. You can have adverse winds. You can be really going through the mill. But it's the testimony of Christians through the ages that even in the midst of suffering, we can know a deep current of joy through the Holy Spirit. And that characterises the Thessalonians, right from the off. Joy and suffering. And also, it involved becoming a model to other believers. So this is how they took it. Almost immediately, they became part of this imitation cycle. It was embodied to them, and they straight away embodied it. And that led to others embodying it. It was like this contagion. So, how the good news was taken? Well, it was a whole life thing. They kind of took it and they became different people. And they had this deep joy that was independent of their circumstances. They weren't sorted, they had issues, they were problems, um, but they were living and copying. <laughs> they were hurting but joyful. So that's how the good news came, how the good news was taken. And where the good news went is it rang out everywhere. Um, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, uh, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now, this word rang out um, is only used once in the New Testament, uh, and it's used in the Old Testament version that's in Greek, that's Septuagint a few times. And, and every time it's used of, of instruments that make kind of like loud banging noises. So when you say ring out, it's like I, I was going to see if I could hit a cymbal, but I, I'm not going to get all the way behind there. But that's the kind of sound we're talking about. Like a big gong, like a boom, that resonates. The actual word is ex echo. So, um, ex echo. So, you know, we have the word echo. If something echoes, it resonates, it bounces around. 
But, but it's not just resonating, it's resonating out. It's kind of like a super resonator. And that, that's what's going on straight away. It goes out. And what's going out is this turn from idols. So um, they tell how you turn to God from idols. And back in the day, idols were personification of abstract ideas and concepts that are kind of central to human life. So idols would represent things like power or home, sex, creativity, violence, security, parenthood, weather. And idols were important because those things were important, are important. And idols were seen to give access to those important parts of human existence and and the prospect of maybe some kind of power over them. And they would worship these idols in physical ways. They'd literally bow down on their faces to them. They'd bring offerings to them of of food. They'd sacrifice animals. Now, we don't have idols in that sense now. Some people do, actually, um, but most people don't. But we do still revere those ideas and concepts. Don't we see people who, who love power? Who honour the home above everything else? Sex, creativity, violence, security, parenthood. Those concepts, those ideas are powerful today. And people around us and we ourselves seek access to those things and we seek protection for them. They matter to us. And, you know, you don't have physical worship. You don't literally bow down to power. But people do make sacrifices and bring offerings to power, don't they? People will give power or, or... or or home, or sex, or creativity, or violence, or security, or parenthood. They'll give them authority in their lives. And we do it too. And one of the distinctive things, where the gospel went, where it took them, was turning from these idols, turning from putting central human concerns first, putting the self first, ultimately, to serve the living God. They went from that to God The point is, these central human concerns are important, they matter to us, but they're not alive. They don't have that animating life. And when we put those things at the centre of our life, they distort and they dominate and they take life away from us. God is the creator and sustainer of life. Creativity, love. And the true and living God is the source of all that is good. That's good news, isn't it? And when he is the centre of our lives, we know life to the full. Life as we were made to live it. Now, so far, we've talked a lot about the good news, but we haven't actually talked about what the good news is. We've talked about how it came, how it was taken, where it went. But Paul knows they know the good news. He doesn't need to explain it. He just gives this little glimpse at the end. Verse 10. What had they reorientated their lives around? What actually was this news? What had caused this first flush, this change, this dynamism, this power? And remember, this is one of the earliest texts. This is one of the first formulations that we have written down of what this good news is, which is fascinating from a historical point of view, but also as Christians, that's a big deal. 
And the way he explains it is to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from the coming wrath. So the news is partly about something that is coming, the return of Jesus, waiting for his son from heaven. It's partly about something that happened, Jesus being raised from the dead. And it's partly about something that's offered, rescue from the coming wrath. We go through this briefly now. News. The news that they responded to was that something is coming. Jesus was coming back. That was their expectation. And I don't know how often you think about this, whether it feels like news or whether it feels like a kind of a bit of an abstract belief that maybe isn't that relevant to you. I don't know when the last time you thought about the return of Jesus was. But it's important to the whole of 1 Thessalonians. This idea that the world would end, that there'd be a judgment day. And to, to, to take this now, to receive this as news now, what I need to do is, I need to, what we need to do, I think, is, is look around the world. We see a world that needs justice. Don't we? Don't we see intractable problems? Israel, Palestine. Ukraine, Russia. State oppression in China. The awful misogyny of the Taliban. People dying of hunger every day while the West throws mountains of food away. Don't we see that in the news every day? Don't we see the need for this? And the news came to the Thessalonians that that justice was coming and it blew them away. And it's news that comes to us as news today. That justice is coming like a freight train. There's a rumble in the distance. The juddering tracks. And we need that. Don't we? But the news is also that something happened. That Jesus rose from the dead. This is what turned them from idols to the living God. And this God of life came to earth to conquer death. Jesus defeated evil by suffering evil. He defeated death by dying. He took our guilt by dying as an innocent man. And the resurrection is an almighty yes. It's an amen. There is life from death. Jesus is alive. There is hope. Death is not the end. That is news. That is news then. That is news now. And that is news we need. But the news is also something that was offered. Rescue from the coming wrath. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can know safety and security on this coming day of judgment when Jesus returns. The news is, the news was, forgiveness of sins offered to us, to you, to me. And the Thessalonians, these guys, hundreds, thousands of years ago, they show us how to take it, how to receive it. With the Holy Spirit, this personal engagement with a personal God. Deep conviction. Changed minds. Changed lives. And at least the imitation. Imitation of Christ. Imitation with Christians. And 
Imitation that leads others to imitate him as well. It's an invitational thing, isn't it? Copy me, like I copied the person who brought me to Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Well, Paul starts with thankfulness. That's, that's what this is. He says, I thank God every time I think of you. I remember you with thanks. This news is something to be grateful for, to be thankful for. And not just the news, but how the news affects other people. People are still encountering this with the first flush of love. So be excited about it. Be thankful. When you meet someone, think, how can I thank God for them in my prayers? When you see evidence of faith and hope and love, when you see people receiving the news and being changed, praise God. This is exciting. The global church is growing massively. And, 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 and there are people coming to know Christ here, aren't there? People that I'm sure you know. So get to know young Christians. Be encouraged by them. And, and, and say to them, every time I pray for you, I'm thankful. When was the last time you said that to someone? Let's, let's do it. And, and receiving the good news as news, right? The freshness of it. You might be here this morning and you might never have received the news in this way. Jesus is coming. There will be justice. Jesus rose from the dead. There is life. And Jesus offers rescue from the coming judgment. And, and when we hear news that, that is relevant to us, if we really believe it, we'll act. Right? If, if I hear that, that the government is on the news that the government is offering free insulation to homeowners, then I'll insulate my home for free. If I believe it, that's how I receive the news, right? And if we hear this news, what's, what's coming, what's, what's happened and what's offered, then it will lead us to act. <laughs> and we'll see how other Christians act and we'll copy that. But maybe, and I imagine this might be the case for several of us here, you've heard this before, and it doesn't feel like news anymore. <laughs> right? The Christian life, we have the first love thing, and then, and then we keep on living, and, and stuff happens. Life is complicated, isn't it? It's messy. What do we do then? Well, this is always news. And it's always news because we always need it. So if you're thinking, oh, this doesn't feel like news today. See, I know this, but I'm not excited by it. then just when you're reading the news, when you're encountering, encountering scenes of injustice, of, of pain, of suffering, when you're dealing with this stuff, take the hope that the return of Jesus offers. It's news that's always fresh because we always need it. What's happened, that need for life. When you're coming across situations where it seems like there's just death, maybe literal death, maybe just kind of metaphorical deadness, like a life-sapping, life-draining situation. Jesus is alive. There is resurrection power. There is resurrection life. We need that. That is news because we still need life. And that need for rescue. Right? Maybe you're someone who doesn't do anything wrong anymore. Well, congratulations. But I need forgiveness every day. 
And I praise Jesus that 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 is offered to me. And and practically, how do we receive it again? Well, remember those things, but also be like a kid. Jesus says over and over again, you need to become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean we're naive or gullible, but it means we need to be open to wonder, be curious, be ready to learn. You know, what does this mean now? How, how do I need justice? How, how do I need um, forgiveness? Where do I need life? What situations, what people? Can, can I speak this into? And kids imitate. And we're called to imitate, aren't we? Finally, um, passing it on. You might be someone who is more of a kind of a wordy person. It, the news comes with words, great, that's true. But it also comes with power. It's also lived. He says, um, you know how I lived among you. So if you're a wordy kind of person, if you find it easy to share the news verbally, then remember, you need to embody it. You need to be someone that people can copy, and in copying you, they will be discipled. That is challenging. That is really challenging. I ask myself that question, it terrifies me. If someone just copied my life day by day, would they be discipled? <laughs> but that's what we're called to. And not just discipled, but, but evangelized. Is my life an anticipation of Christ, a receiving of his forgiveness, and, and a living his life? But you might be more kind of comfortable with that stuff. You might think the word stuff is the hard thing. You might be comfortable sharing lives with people, but actually news needs to be spoken. You can't communicate news without words, really. It's not possible. Again, I challenge you to try it. Just pick a news headline. Give it a go. It'll be funny, because you can't. (laughs) But the most important thing is this, the, the receiving. Just taking it as a kid, day by day, copying Jesus, copying Christians that we respect and encouraging people to copy us, not because we've got it sorted, not because we're there, but because that's what Christian life is like. It's an imitation of Christ and the imitation of the people who've imitated him. So let's, let's do that. I'll just give us a moment and then I'll pray. <laughs> Father God, we pray that your, your news would come to us with power, with deep conviction, with the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we would live it, that it would be embodied in us. As we wait for Jesus, as we celebrate and live in his resurrection power, as we receive the offer of forgiveness and rescue, may that be something that rings out and changes other people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.